Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Hey, guys, my name is Odin from Texas. Just had a question for you was trying to see if you guys had around $100,000 to invest, where to put it right now. My risk tolerance is very low. I like, you know, ETFs, commodities, stuff like that. But it just seems like everything's so overpriced now and that the only deals out there are really emerging markets, China, and stuff like that, but very hard to trust at the same time. So... I have four kids, so that's why I have a very low risk tolerance. I I don't want to lose the money. So right now I'm waiting on the sidelines, trying to be patient, like Warren Buffett says, waiting for the right pitches. Just trying to see if you guys were in my shoes, would you be looking to time the market? I know you're not supposed to do that, but, I mean, the S&P and everything is just so overpriced. Or... Do you have a type of uh, investment that you would consider a good plan? Your advice would be greatly appreciated, and I love your show. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, Warren Buffett is, you know, he puts the most of the money that he has lots of cash on the side, by the way, too. So don't worry about that. But when, when he puts money to work, he pours money into the market during a recession. That's when he does it. And he has tons of money sitting on the sidelines like right now, billions, sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything. So don't think you're alone here. And if you are conservative and you want to remain very low risk, the stock market may not be for you. But I'll tell you this. I think there's lots of commodities that are not overpriced, not. They've been so underpriced for so long that even though they've gone up, it feels like you know, they've gotten expensive when they haven't, if you look at the fundamentals. So um, if you're going to invest, I would suggest that area of the market. But as I listen to you, it's telling me you're very adverse to risk. Uh, I don't know if I'd put it in the market at this stage. Market is risky, especially today. It's risky. So why don't you do a Warren Buffett, wait for the recession. Remember, 
This is though the 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 I, I can tell you what your problem is going to be though. When it, just before the recession hits, the market will collapse. Okay, the market will go down, 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 down. You won't know where the bottom is, and you'll be afraid to invest your money. And what will happen is you'll wait too long to get back in the market, to get into the market, because that's typical. Because there's no bell that anybody rings at the top of the market, no more, no bell that anybody rings at the bottom of the market. You have to make your own decision, you know, as to, is this down far enough? And that's hard to do. And you're right, timing the market is impossible. Okay? Good call, though, good question, but be careful. You know, if you don't want to risk the money market, don't do it. Let's go to Graham in Atlanta. I want to talk about Roth IRAs. Graham. Hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I'm about 24 years old, mm-hmm. um, and I've you know just recently started getting into investing and listening to your podcast. It's been very helpful. Um, you know, I have some positions. Um, I've maxed out my 2022, and I'm finishing up maxing out my 2021. I just learned that I could still do that. Um, right. So while I'm doing that, I'm trying to make some investment choices. I have some positions and uh, dividend funds like SCHD and VYM. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some just general, you know, S&P 500 like VOO, and I have some growth and value positions as well. And I'm wondering, um, you know, what other, you know, uh, industries or markets you would look at as far as continuing to diversify my portfolio. I'm, you might want to look into having some uh, some precious metal exposure as a possible capital gains and defense of a of a very volatile market, and you might want to consider uh, a, a small position or, or a medium sized position in a commodity type space. I, to do that, I would probably cut back the growth stocks. The growth space, okay. value space would be better for the, for the time being. Uh, that's what I would do. And were you talking about your Roth IRA or your regular IRA or your 401k when you're talking about investing? My Roth. Roth. Okay. I so, yeah, I like the Roth. Yeah, I like the Roth. As, and you got a 401k at work? Mm-hmm. Okay, so good. Is it a Roth 401k or regular 401k? Um, it's. I've got deferred and I have Roth, so I, you know, I've kind of split some up okay. into, you know, apps, okay. Uh, into. Okay, keep it up, and you'll do very well. Expect to have volatility, but if you just keep putting money in the market at 24, by the time you're 50, you'll be extremely happy. Trust me in this. Graham, appreciate the call. Thank you for the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888-99 chart, 888-99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, Tyler from Kansas City. Your podcast really fills the void for individuals who have knowledge of the stock market but no one to discuss financials with. I really have enjoyed listening to all your podcasts over the years and recommend you guys to everyone I can. This topic is for Justin, if possible, and as much as I'd like to ask about a money-losing tech stock, 
My question today is regarding options. Luckily, I recognized late last year that the market seemed to be getting ahead of itself and decided to pursue a covered call strategy. I try to strictly own forever stocks that are shareholder friendly and I don't want to pay taxes on the gains. So I find covered calls as the best strategy when my stocks get ahead of themselves. I'm looking for any tips that you could share with us in regards to the strategy that you put into place. I know 45 to 60 days out seems to be a hot spot to maximize time decay. I know to roll them when they get about seven to 10 days out from expiration. But with your type of experience and utilizing the strategy, do you have any other tips or main viewpoints you could share? Thanks again. I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks for the kind words and spreading the word about Invest Talk. Uh, and you hit on a few points that I would have started with on how to sell covered calls. So that, those are the main ones, right? The, the goal of selling covered calls is to get that time decay that accelerates uh, typically in the last uh, 60 days, but especially the last 30 days. So you want to kind of capture that, that last 30 days as much as possible. Now, what else I would do is it's not just about the time, but there's the strike price as well. And what strike price you pick is going to have a big factor in the premium that you're going to get. Uh, so how much hedge to the downside you'll have and how much it might limit the upside of your of your position. So what I typically do when we manage our, our cover call strategy for clients is we look at the chart and where resistance is. So I like to pick a strike where there is resistance, where there's likely to be hesitation to the upside anyway. And that oftentimes gives me time, you know, where, while it's hesitating for a few weeks, typically, to find a price on the, the option that I can buy back and roll it out another 30 days, maybe 60 days, to a higher strike. So that and, and still create a credit to where you're buying it back for for a low price and, and getting more premium front from it, and that allows you to continue to keep the upside potential of the stock, but also bring in more premium, more revenue to hedge on the downside and just overall boost the return, especially if the stock kind of goes nowhere. You know, we just talked about a market where the upside is not fantastic because of tightening liquidity conditions, tight, high, higher inflation that's eating into consumer budgets and, and the like. And that means the market could go sideways, but if you sell call options and they expire worthless or you buy them back for less, you can boost your overall return and the, the market or the, 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 the mix of stocks you own, maybe don't, go up very much, but you're getting a boost from those those call options. So I think it's a great strategy in this market. Um, I hope that helped unpack a little bit of kind of our secret sauce. But ultimately, it comes down to the portfolio you're executing and the underlying stocks. And that's that's probably the last thing is a lot of people focus too much on buying the underlying stock and selling high implied volatility, meaning um, the options that have big premiums because the market's pricing in a lot of potential movement. What I've learned is focus on the quality stocks first and less on implied volatility. So that's another uh, quick tip. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 
888-99-CHART. Let's go to Ken in Texas. He wants to talk about corporate bonds. Yeah, Justin, um, you know, I've always heard that you're supposed to allocate according to your age, like subtract your age from, uh, um, you know, 100 and then have like with me 70 years old, 70 percent bonds and 30 percent equities. Mm-hmm. Is is that what kind of credence do you give that? And I also have one other question. I've uh, got uh, allocation of 40 percent, 47 percent fixed. 33 equity and 20 in cash right now and mm-hmm. and i'm wondering am i too heavy on on the bonds what what's your thoughts on all of that well i think the 100 minus your age is a good baseline that you want to think about but i don't think it should be used as gospel everyone's a little bit different uh and their time horizon's different so for example you might be 70 but this money might be earmarked for a child, one of your, your children or grandchildren, and therefore the time horizon for those investments are a lot longer. So you want to think about uh, that. And then consideration of what's where the best opportunities in the market are as well. So do you, should you lean on bonds when yields remain very, very low? You know, probably not. Um, so that might be lower than it typically would be. Uh, also, consideration of your income needs uh, is having that mix and that income level uh, sufficient to live on, then, you know, maybe that is a good mix for you. So having it as a baseline is is fine. But just like everything, you have to make adjustments for your own particular situation, your own time horizon. Uh, How old are you, Ken? I'm 70. You're 70. Okay. So, yeah, and what you, I'm looking at, pardon me, but what I'm looking at is on the bonds. I mean, I can get in four and five percent fixed on it, and my and right now we spend what we uh, take in. We're balanced on our uh-huh. income expenses, uh-huh. and so I, you know, if I can put it in bonds that mature in twenty five or twenty six and get my my uh, money back on it, then that's uh-huh. kind of where I've been looking on the bond end of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. We're we're definitely finding uh, fixed income opportunities in the corporate bond space now up to five and a half percent, six percent sometimes, and uh, going out just a few, you know, three, four, five years. And I think that is this is a much better time to be buying bonds than it was over the past few years. Now, is it fantastic yields? No, but definitely relative. It's it's getting a lot better. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can find those yields, five, six percent, and then you can uh, have confidence they're going to stay in business over the next uh, four or five years, then that's a good place to be, if, uh, especially if you're uh, reliant on that income. So uh, you have some cash, but you probably want to put some of that cash to work right now uh, in the corporate bond space. Okay. All right, my friend. Thank you. God bless no y'all. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Ken. Thank you. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you, 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 
888-99 Charter is our number, 888-992-4278. Tony, San Ramon, how you doing, Tony? Hi, Steve. I just want to have your take on real estate in general or buying rentals at this time. In the spring season, there seems to be a lot more properties uh, available. Mm-hmm. I know rates have spiked up quite a bit, but there seems to be a little bit more inventory. Yes. I want to see what your take is buying now versus buying maybe three to six months later. Thank I you. think it would be better to wait, even though interest rates, mortgage rates will go up. But I do think the prices will probably stagnate, and but the inventory will be much more. That's what I think is going to happen. I have a number of brother-in-laws who are, I have five brother-in-laws, uh, three, four of which are real estate appraisers. So I talk to them quite often, and they're still busy. Houses are still pretty, at least here in the Southern California, houses are still hot. But as I read all the articles across the nation, I see it looks like real estate is topping, and you're correct. Inventory is starting to move up a little bit, finally. And the more inventory you have, the less pressure. So if you're out there to go and trying to buy a rental, you're still going to be paying top dollar right now. And I... Just think that it might be wise to wait a little bit to see if we can get a, a better price. Best time to buy is during a recession, <laughs> you know, uh, because then the price of prices will probably fall pretty good. So I, I think you need to wait a little bit. That's what I think. But I like real estate. I'm, I mean, I sold all my rental properties. I had six of them, I think. It was about six. Back in, I sold the last several in 2004. So this some time ago. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. Hi guys, Lee from North Carolina here. I had a question about Stitch Fix, ticker SFIX. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Phil in Washington, D.C. Love you guys. I've learned so much. Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24-7, in the Invest Talk voice bank. Look forward to hearing you guys on the podcast. Thanks. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Yes, this is Becky from Kansas City, Missouri, and I have a question about the sale of your personal residence. Let's say you sell it at a profit. You've lived there, say, 15 years, and you sell it for 200000 more than what you paid for it, and you're also in a little bit of a high-income tax bracket, so you pay IRMA to Medicare. I'm trying to see what effect the sale of the home would have on the health insurance, I, I guess that's counted as income, so it would make my income go up $200,000, and then my health insurance would go higher next two years. Is there any way around this? Can I buy another home for more than what I sold this one for to avoid having $200,000 in income? Thank you. Love your show. Bye. Well, typically I say talk to a CPA because I'm not a licensed uh, CPA, but this one's super easy because it's uh, very straightforward. You have a $250,000 tax exemption on any home that you lived in for two of the last five years. 
And if you're married, it's five, it's what's two hundred, it's two hundred fifty thousand for each of you. So five hundred thousand if you're married filing jointly. So you shouldn't have to worry about that two hundred thousand dollar gain. You've lived in it, said fifteen years. So I'm assuming that's two of the last uh, five. Then you're you're good to go. So uh, you probably shouldn't have to worry about that. But I would consult, always consult, especially in times like this when you're selling a home, you have gains. Uh, make sure that you talk to a CPA and. On your basis, too, you have to think about is you can add in your your improvement costs. So say you bought the house for 200000 but over those 15 years, you put in $100,000 for a new air conditioner and a new floor and painting the house and you know various things. You can add that to your cost basis and, and reduce your total gain. Now, it sounds like you're going to fit under that 250000 exemption anyway, but always uh, think about that. So... Thanks for the question. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Josh from Glendora, California. I've been listening since March, and I have a question for you involving setting up an account for a minimal amount of money, like $2,000. Should it be a tax-deferred Roth IRA or a normal taxed account? I plan on not cashing out the money for at least a year. Thank you in advance for all your information, and thank you for your wonderful podcast. Have a good one. Bye. I would say a Roth. I see no reason why you shouldn't put that in you unless you're in a very high tax bracket. But yeah, I think that's the only reason why I wouldn't do it that way. You know, with a Roth, you can take the money out, the contributions out whenever you want. So that's a positive. And yeah, so I would definitely go with a Roth IRA and go with one of the big brokers please don't go with Robinhood or these crazy small brokers. I know they have fun, cool apps, uh, but go, go with one of the big guys. I see too many issues with these, uh, these new brokers and trading's free. Now you get all the benefits of a big, safe broker with good customer service and consistent trading platforms, etc., And you get no fees, these trading fees. So, uh, I would encourage you to go that route as well. Thanks for the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You can get through right now. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. 
You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, this is Vivian Martin. What's going to be happening when we go to cryptocurrency? I understand that May 20th is the last date for the white paper for the feds to be reviewed, and uh, Biden's already signed into law cryptocurrency for our future. And I think it's kind of ironic that people that aren't going to be affected by 401k law have now put into a new into effect a new law that means that it's mandatory. So they're going to be able to take our money anytime anyway. Thank you, bye. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Uh, I know the Fed is looking at a central bank digital currency. And I think that will be rolled out at some point. And, you know, could they confiscate your money because of that? Probably. And that's why I've always been a bit skeptical on independent, decentralized cryptocurrencies. Because at the end of the day, governments have control. Governments have power. Whether you like it or not, just look at the last couple of months. What the US and, and Europe has done to Russia. Now, I'm not opining whether that's a, a, a justified or not. It's not what this is about. It's about simply showing their power that they have. Uh, they were able to confiscate some crypto wallets from the Canadian trucker uh, protesters. 
they can, they can, they have the power. Remember, while while cryptocurrency operates in the ether, especially in today's world, you should always realize that what matters the most is what is in the real world. The ability to source basic needs, food, energy, housing. And those exist within the jurisdiction of governments. And so is it a shock to me that they're looking to plan to launch a, a, a central bank digital currency? No, they're just leveraging the technology that was built independently and allows them to have more control. Now you can call that a, is that a conspiracy? No, it's just, governments have always found ways to put in systems that gives them more ability to be technocratic, to implement their ultimate policy goals. Um, so does that mean that they're going to steal your money? Probably not. Um, but is this a tool that will allow them to have more control? Certainly. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at 888 chart Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Rick from Maryland. I had a question in regards to selling puts. So I'm not really a big investor, right? Full-time job. I, I don't have time to kind of break down everything, right? But let's just say I like a company at a certain price, but only if it gets to that certain price. Is there any disadvantage to saying, hey, I'm just going to sell the the put at, at that price if it gets there, great. Or otherwise, you know, at least I'm making a premium. Hopefully that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I just don't really understand all the nuances selling options. Look forward to hearing from you guys on the podcast. Thanks. All right. Great question. The answer is the, the downside is if you get your position too big. Now, there is there are ways to get yourself in trouble in a big way by selling put options. And that means if they are not cash secured. So cash secured put options are pretty low risk. You have exposure to the underlying, but at a lower price, ideally, like you said, targeting that lower price that you'd like to buy it at. Problem is, if it's too far, say it's 30% away, and especially if it's not a very volatile stock typically, your premium is not gonna be very big. So what a lot of people are tempted to do is say, well, I'll sell, instead of selling uh, one put that amounts for 100 shares, that equates to 100 shares, they say, well, I wanna get more premium, so I'm gonna sell five puts, and that's 500 shares. And suddenly, if it does get down to that price, that 500 shares is a large percentage of your portfolio, and that gets you highly exposed to that particular position. So that's the problem that it presents to you, is keeping your position size correct so that it's not more than 5% of your overall portfolio. So that if it blows well past that strike price where you think it's a good value, maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's at 100. You think a great value is at 80. And it blows right through that. And it goes to 50. Well, did you sell too many puts? And now you're on the hook for uh, yeah, buying an 80. But now you have a $30 per share loss on a lot of shares. A lot more than you were bargaining for because you were chasing yield. That's where people get in trouble. 
But as long as they're cash secured and uh, a reasonable small percentage of your portfolio, I think you're fine. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, uh, my name is Nathan from Cleveland, Ohio, and I have a question. I recently sold some covered calls, and now the price of the stock is over my strike price. I was wondering if you recommend if I just wait until the shares get called away or sell the option and lose out on the intrinsic value of the option. I appreciate uh, your answer. Thank you. All right. A lot of people that sell covered calls, they get they freeze when they're call when their uh, the stock goes in the money now for everyone out there cover call is basically when you buy you buy a stock you buy the underlying say it's at fifty dollars you sell a call at say a fifty five strike and you get a premium for that and most people they love that they get a premium they get more income they get to hold the stock they get that upside to fifty five they get some dividend but the problem is is that sometimes it goes above fifty five and now you're capped and then you freeze and you go what do I do? Do I let it get called away? Do I just buy back the option? And you know, what do I do? Well, what we usually do, we run a cover call strategy, we roll it, what you can do is roll it. And sometimes you can get a credit for that. Sometimes you have to pay a little bit of money. But and rolling is basically you buy it back about the 55 strike, whatever the, the price is, uh, hopefully a few days before expiration. And then you sell out to the next month. So for this month, we get option ex- expiration next week uh, in the month of April, and then we roll it out to May. And maybe a higher strike, maybe it's fifty-seven fifty, maybe it's $60 per share, et cetera. And that gives you more upside in the stock and you're selling more premium. You might even get, still get a credit for it depending on you know where, where everything's going. So don't freeze. Don't think that, uh, oh my God, I got to let it get called away or I have to just buy it back so I keep the stock. You can roll it. You, you can massage these positions. And that's what that's what we do. Uh, and it works out very well if you kind of know what you're doing. You don't freeze and think that this is the, you don't have, what, m- most options, they don't expire where uh, in the money, where somebody's taking a position. Most people are buying that back. And most people don't realize, most amateurs don't realize that you can do that. It's a great way to bring in more income, but don't let it freeze you and make you hold it to the end. Most of the time, you should roll it. Thanks for the call. Hey, guys, this is George in Massachusetts. I was wondering if you could discuss the pros and cons of buying stocks on margin. I appreciate it, and thanks. Well, the pros are, if you're right, you get earn a higher bang, bang, bang for your buck, return on your, your dollars. The downside is it can lead you to financial ruin if you make the wrong mistake. And margin costs interest. So even if you are right, your excess return needs to be above that level of interest you're paying on margin. And typically, it's not cheap. Depends on your broker, 6 7 8%. 
it changes. Okay. So those are kind of the pros and cons. And I would advise against it. Honestly, if you use a little margin, you know, a couple percent of your account, no big deal. But using double digit margin, I think is a bad idea. So I definitely wouldn't go that route. All right. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Andrew in New Hampshire, and I uh, have a question for you about some retirement planning as it relates to IRAs or traditional or Roth versus buying and holding stocks that are dividend paying. I am not looking to rely on the principle of my principal for retirement, just the dividend income. And my thought is that if I buy good quality companies for the long run and live off the dividend income and keep them in a taxable account instead of an IRA account, then those stocks will step up in basis when I pass and they're passed on to my beneficiaries. Uh, versus if I put them in an IRA, that basis will not step up. So it would be a traditional IRA versus a taxable portfolio. I'm not able to contribute to a Roth IRA because of my income. Appreciate the answer on the program. Thanks so much. Well, you described it correctly that um, when you buy things outside a, 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 a retirement account, in other words, in a private investment, an individual account or a joint account, and you hold on to it, you're going to get dividends. You're going to have to pay taxes on all the time because you're talking about high dividend paying type stocks. So every time you get a dividend at the end of the year, you're going to have to pay your taxes on that dividend. But whoever inherits that stock, if you hold on to it until you pass away, will inherit it at the price of the stock on the day you passed away. Therefore, that's the stepped-up basis. And therefore, they don't have to pay capital gains if they decide to sell on it, sell it from the point when you bought it many years before. So that's all true. Okay. Now, the benefit of, of course, a a tax-free account is you can buy that and earn that income tax-free and just keep reinvesting it into the stock, and you don't you can you get to reinvest the whole thing instead of having to pay taxes on the income. So that's that's a choice that you make and based on your personal financial picture. I think it sounds like you've got a good handle on it to me. Uh, let's take a live call. Kevin from Maui, Hawaii, wants to talk about interest rates. How you doing, Steve? Good, Kevin. Good. Uh, so maybe a stupid question. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I couldn't refinance our house before now. So I'm doing it now. I'm on application pre-approved, but I have to lock rates. And I just was curious if you have any input as to do I lock today or <laughs> just wait? You know, is this is this like if I got to lock sometime in the next three or four weeks? So I, I would it's probably lock, best to just I just lock them in now because rates. yeah, because because the Fed's going to raise rates in the first part of May. And that will, and rates will start to creep up before that. So I, I would lock it in as soon as possible. I really would. Okay, and then quickly, I know I've I've been trying to get a portfolio. I'm not trying. I I, tr- I missed you when I was in LA. I, I got your link, so I'm going to set up a time with you. But I'm wondering about a ten fifteen. We can afford the payment on a ten fifteen or thirty. 
Uh-huh. And the rates are obviously better on a, a fixed 10 and then adjust after that. Uh, right. And longer term interest rates, if we keep this, do you, do you have any input on, on where you know you think yeah. the cycles would happen? I, I, in 10 I, years? I, I think rates long term are going to stay around 5%, maybe 5 to 6%. So I think you lock in the lower rates as long as you can. Appreciate the call. 888 99Chart. Let's talk to Paige in Sunnyvale. How you doing, Paige? I'm just fine, thank you. I Thanks for calling. My, yeah, I just switched my brokerage services from Fidelity to First Trade to get zero fee trading privileges. And okay. I used to I used to put the money that I had on the sidelines in a money market fund, but First Trade doesn't have one. And I read nice. that a short maturity bond ETF would be a safe alternative. I've got one in mind, and I'm just oh. curious if there's anything I need to be aware of. Is that a safe place to be on the sidelines, especially if there's a bond bubble? Okay. The question you're asking is how safe is the short-term bond fund? And my answer would be it depends on the fund, and it should be an ultra-short-term bond fund, not just a short-term bond fund. Ultra short-term bond funds usually have maturities less than 30 days, okay? okay? So rising and falling of interest rates doesn't really affect them. So all you're really worried about is safety and how much income, like a savings account, it can produce. And they're producing between 2 and 3%, some of them a little bit more. But, of course, the safety of any bond fund is how quality the bonds are, Right. Really, the shorter they are, the more safer they are, and the higher quality they are, the safer they are. And of course, that means less return for you. So, the if the short-term bond fund is described as just short-term, that means one to three years, by the way, short-term. Mm-hmm. And that is not nearly as safe as an ultra-short-term bond fund. Now, I have a short list of three, I think, ultra short-term bond funds. If you want them, send me an email and I'll send them to you. And you only send me an email so it reminds me to send it to you. Just ask for it. Okay? okay. And I'll send it to you. Thank so you, you want the ultra, ultra short-term bond fund ETF list. And I'll send it to you. Okay, Paige? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love that name, Paige. My favorite, one of my favorite nieces. Not my favorite, because if I say she's my favorite and I got, you know, 15 others, I can't say that. One of my favorite nieces. How's that? I got 39 nieces and nephews, so you know. <laughs> you got to be careful. I love them all. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Ken in Temecula. How you doing, Ken? Hey, Steve. I'm very interested in technical analysis. I'm relatively a new investor in individual stocks, uh-huh. and I, I use the MACD and the stochastic indicators. Those are good indicators. I'm evaluating charts, but... Sometimes the MACD, when it's below the zero line and it looks like it's 
in a buy trend. Mm-hmm. It, and then I look at the stochastic indicator, it might be above 80 mm-hmm. and looking like a sell signal. And I wanted to know if there's a correlation between the two or how would you use In that situation, you wouldn't react to the stock at all because you have total divergence of two indicators, which indicates confusion to you as a trader. That would say, wait a minute, and you're, you're reading them right. You're saying, wait a minute, one's a buy, one's a sell. What am I supposed to do? In those cases, do nothing. Okay. You want to look at other indicators to confirm. Okay. Uh, but what I like to do, uh, use the MACD and accumulation and distribution line and the on-balance volume line, I'm looking at all three. If they're all three lined up, that gives me more comfort. Those four indicators combined together looking good rather than mm-hmm. uh, one looking good and the other maybe not looking good. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And you got to okay. make sure the stock price itself also kind of tracks, okay, well, that's a good buy point, too, on the stock price itself. Ken, the more you look at these charts, the better you'll get at it. Very interesting. Okay, yeah, it is interesting. A little complicated, a little confusing, but interesting. It's like learning a whole language, Ken, a whole different language of some kind. That's what it's doing. Good luck with it, Ken. Hope it works for you. Thanks. Hi, this is Alex from the Bay Area, and my question is, can you compare and contrast a value stock to a growth stock. Thank you. Well, there's no hard and fast rule of what a value stock is or a growth stock. Um, you know, I always just like to look at like the IWF, there's IWV, iShares 1000 growth versus iShares 1000 value. It's a good way to uh, look at the different types of companies. Uh, you know, growth stocks are about the story. Uh, They're about the companies that are quote unquote disruptors. And the, the hope is that you're picking names that are going to be much larger revenue wise in the future. Uh, And typically they have higher sales growth today. And the market is pricing a premium on those. Okay. So for example, the IWF, the average price to book is on the is, is nine times, whereas the category average is only six times. But your sales growth is much above average. Uh, and in times where interest rates are low, you discount that future growth very minimally. That's what discounted cash flow model is. You have to discount it by some interest rate. When interest rates are low, that interest rate is, is, is low. In a time where interest rates are going up, inflation is going up, you care less about that future and you care more about what is actually happening today. Now, IWF, if you look at the sectors it holds mainly, 42% technology half a percent energy, 1% basic materials. So you can see the growthier stocks aren't doing very well right now because what's going up in value? The companies that can actually do something for you today. When times are tougher, when inflation is higher, it's hard to get your hands on things because of whether that's supply chain issues or just shortages of supply. You care about getting the products today. You're going to pay up for them. 
your margins for those companies are going to be much better. Are you going to care as much about what company will do five years from now, 10 years from now? And the vast majority of those aren't going to turn into what they promised or what investors hope they will be. So that's the difference between growth versus value. We've just gone through a period, decade plus, 14 years really, 27 to, sorry, 2007 to 2021, where growth outperformed. This is a new era. About now, about today, about getting products and services that you can use today. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We do track our download numbers and we've crossed over 40 million thanks to you. And you can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your rate your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is the best talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 